Welcome to the Park Row Talkback Podcast for November 27th, 2020. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jackstein. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today we will be having a conversation about Russ's most recent sermon, Compassion and Change. A quick reminder, if you've not heard the sermon yet, you can find it at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, under our resources tab. Good morning, Russ. How are you today? I'm well, Bruce. How about you? Good. You have a good Thanksgiving this year? It was different. It was quiet, and it was very nice. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> really, we really enjoyed the change a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> good that's to uh, maybe re-examine how things or traditions are handled from time to time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look yeah. at we, we had a meal with our sons and our, our, our uh, daughter-in-law to be, and it was, so it was a, a quiet household and uh, very nice. Yeah. Very good. So can you uh, give us, to get us started, give us a brief overview of uh, your sermon this past Sunday entitled Compassion and Change? Yeah, Sunday was our commitment Sunday, so it was it was kind of a stewardship sermon, and yet uh, the text um, uh, were were very interesting. It's Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats, and then behind that, a text from Ezekiel, written in the in the sixth century before Christ, um, where Ezekiel talks about the God separating the sheep and the sheep. So a really interesting uh, contrast between these um, texts of the separation of sheep and the goats and the separation of the sheep and the sheep. Um, and so I wanted to deal with that. And then I felt like I, I, I could make uh, uh, use that to address our commitment um, in, in every way as Christians and then how that comes about in very practical ways um, in terms of raising you know, the budget for, for a church for the coming year. Um, right. You said uh, early on in the sermon, you talked about, uh, discussed the the idea of salvation by grace alone, and then you countered that, I think, with uh, Jesus talking about the fact that we are ultimately judged by our actions and our works. Can you talk a little bit about how those two concepts relate or or play off against each other? Yeah, I guess you would have to have grown up in the church like I did and be familiar with Scripture to know that there's a tension here. But it's the tension that I, that I have felt pretty strongly. This Matthew text, this parable uh, cast as, as kind of the final judgment. And, uh, and the king, you know, the people will come before the king and the king will say, um, you know, separate the sheep and the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. And, um, you know, the, the people stand before the king and say, well, Lord, when was it that we, you know, saw you hungry and didn't feed you, you know, saw you without clothes and didn't clothe you. And he said, he says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Um, and so this, this uh, very stark kind of picture of a final judgment um, cast people into eternal darkness, you know, eternal punishment um, for not feeding the poor and not taking care of one another. Um, and that really does go against the way that I was taught salvation. You know, we're saved by grace, by accepting what Jesus did, not by doing good works. Um, and it's just a really interesting and 
in uh, stark contrast, Jesus very much says in this parable, you know, we have to be about good works. Um, and so you contrast that with Ephesians, uh, a verse in Ephesians chapter two that says, for by grace are we saved through faith, not of works. And so it's a pretty head to head um, contrast here. And I was playing on that a little bit. And, and only if you, you know, grew up knowing scripture um, uh, and and understanding that tension would would you necessarily know where I'm coming from um, but I, I heightened that I highlighted that in order to heighten the, the the emphasis that Jesus gives that we we are responsible for one another we do need to be feeding the poor and taking care of one another um, and that is part of um, uh, our eternal, um, whatever, whatever that means to you, there are eternal consequences to how we live and how we how we treat one another. Do you see that uh, that uh, that tension between salvation by grace and being judged by actions and works as a personal evolution, or is that something that the church, taken as a whole, uh, has changed with respect to over time, or or how is how? Do you, in your own mind, resolve that tension? Uh, um, I guess first, Bruce, uh, it, it's been a, it's been an evolution for me, being raised in a in an evangelical culture um, that that talked a lot about salvation by grace. And I mentioned in the in the sermon that I've heard many times, you don't get to heaven, but you can't earn your you can't earn your way to heaven. You know, so there's been a personal evolution about that. But what I've come to realize is that I was raised in a particular segment of the Christian church. And the the evangelicalism of my upbringing um, is is strong. It's one that is is felt strongly, heard strongly in this country. But it's only one um, one part of the Christian church. And I have been introduced, and this was many years ago, but I've now been introduced to a, a church that talks much more about a social gospel than an individual um, gospel. Um, and that that part of the church is strong as well. That voice is strong as well. Um, and so I guess for me, there is a personal um, evolution that has come about, but it's been helpful for me to be introduced to a strong aspect of Christianity. Christianity that is also voiced within um, the broader stream of, of Christendom. Right. You took the uh, uh, talked a little bit about Ezekiel saying that God will judge the sheep from the sheep, which was a departure from uh, another uh, take that he would judge the sheep from the goats. Could you explain a little bit what is meant by judging sheep from the sheep? Um, yeah, I, I think Ezekiel is really talking to the church. And again, when we hear this in, in, uh, in light of the sheep, more people would be familiar with the sheep and the goats, um, you know, that, that Jesus divides the, the good from the bad. I, I, I said, um, poking a little fun, you know, us who are righteous from all the unrighteous folks out there. So, you know, we're familiar with this language of sheep and goats and, you know, being, uh, being in, uh, being the insiders. Um, and I think there's some arrogance that we need to be careful about there. And so Ezekiel talks about the separation of the sheep and the sheep. Um, and uh, so, so there's a very critical, um, 
uh, message to this, a critical message to the church that we need to be careful about how we understand the role of religion, the role of faith. Um, and and uh, at one point I, 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 I use the word fat cats, you know, and, and Ezekiel in his text talks about the sheep who are well fed. Um, and, and that is a that is a, a critique of, of the church when we are too comfortable, um, when we don't take care of one another. Um, and so uh, I, I said, you know, Ezekiel goes to meddling here. He's stepping on some toes within the church and dividing um, w- within the church. Right. And, and he, uh, you, you observe that this is a, actually a very political statement on his part, that he's, he's uh, not st- Sticking entirely within the church, he's looking outside at, at the world around him. And before I read the text, Bruce, I mentioned that when we hear the word shepherd, um, I guess probably because of the Christmas nativity, we have this very romantic notion of shepherds, and uh, they're always out, you know, under a moonlit sky, you know, tending their sheep, and it's a very beautiful scene, and um, uh, we 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 have this. A uh, very pacifist kind of notion of of sheep and shepherds, um, a very pastoral kind of uh, kind of image to that. Um, but in 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 my studies, um, it's it's made clear that um, shepherd was also an image for a ruler. Um, and because we're not a, an agricultural uh, society um, and we've, we've never seen any real live uh, shepherds, uh, th- that's a kind of a foreign image to us. And so we have sentimentalized it, we've romanticized it, um, and yet the scholars will tell us that in context of that day, the word shepherd was a metaphor for a leader, the ruler, the king of the day. And so anytime a prophet spoke of a shepherd, there was another message and there there was an underlying critique, um, an implied cr- criticism uh, that, that as soon as you start talking about shepherds, um, you're in the arena of politics. We're talking about the leaders of the day. Um, and if you want to import that into our day, then you're talking about presidents and congressional leaders and rulers and mayors. You know, we're, we're in a political arena. Um, so, so my, my studies have, have convinced me that, that this is what Ezekiel was talking about. And if we're to understand it correctly, we need to allow that kind of political critique to come into our, our own understanding. So how is it that Ezekiel came to that understanding? Do you think he was a, was he a departure from traditional faith or where, Bruce, where I, did he come from? Yeah, I, I think, I think there is a prophetic voice that is consistent throughout Scripture. Um, and uh, Ezekiel was, was a prophet who wrote during the time of the Babylonian exile. In 587, Babylon came in and overthrew uh, the forces in Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They burned the temple, um, and they carted off you know most of the people who were important into exile in Babylon. For 70 years, they were in exile. Um, that was the context in which 
which Ezekiel was writing. But three centuries prior to that, there was a similar takeover in the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, and so prophets began speaking in that time. And so we refer to the 8th century prophets um, or the, the 6th century prophets. And Ezekiel was a 6th century prophet. Um, there is a voice of criticism to the established uh, religious system. Um, obviously, this was Judaism in the 8th century before Christ, the 6th century before Christ. Um, if Again, if we want to apply this to our own time, and I can't ima cannot imagine the prophets being among us today and not saying, you know, being critical of our shepherds. Um, and, and so Ezekiel is part of a prophetic tradition that offers a different kind of word, a different kind of message that is critical of the established systems and always, always looking out for the poor. Um, uh, that, that is the... That is the message of the prophets whenever they spoke was that the church, uh, I'm going to use that, that language. They were talking to the, to, to the establishment of, of Judaism, um, but to transfer that to our time, they were saying to the church, you have forgotten what it's all about. They said to the leaders in Israel, you have forgotten the covenant that God made with you. Your blessing from God was only so that you could be a blessing to, to others. And so when there are poor folks out there not being taken care of, when we see a growing inequality, income inequality, wealth inequality in our system, um, when there are people who are grossly wealthy and, and uh, you know, we're, we're preparing snack bags, um, you know, to deliver a hundred snack bags every weekend to children in this, in our own community who will be hungry on the weekends if we don't provide them food. There's something grossly in, uh, um, in unjust about that. And the prophets were speaking to that. Um, and so Ezekiel is one in a long line of prophets. And Jesus comes in that same line of prophetic critique of the day. You, at some point during the sermon, you referenced the fact that people do accuse you of being too political at times from the pulpit. And um, quoting you, you say, I'm sorry, I just do not know how to be fair to our scriptures and make it sound any other way. Do you feel like you're part of the prophetic tradition extending back to Ezekiel and beyond when you say things like that? Um. Well, I have to have to say that carefully, uh, uh, not to <laughs> to say I'm in line with Jesus. Um, right. Um, I, I, I think I think the part of Scripture that really speaks to me is this prophetic um, message. And so, if if I had to characterize my pre preaching as more prophetic or more pastoral, I, I, I would say my preaching is more prophetic. And, and I'm always aware of these tensions and these criticisms, um, these critiques. And I do understand, Bruce. I, I, I mean, I was really trying to be personal and confessional here. We've had people walk away from this church. It, it's happened a few times. And we've had people to walk away and in one way or another have said, 
I want a message that's more comforting. You know, I, 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 right. I don't, I don't want to be challenged like that. I don't want to be, I don't want to feel bad about, you know, myself when I go out, you know, I don't, I don't like this criticism of, you know, capitalism or criticism of, you know, the American system, I, you know, one way or another, people have offered that kind of critique. And I was trying to say in a very personal kind of way, I, folks, I understand that I really do understand what you are saying. And I understand that you don't want the message to be political, but h- how do you preach a, a scripture that was political and not make it political? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just trying to be honest here. Right. I just don't know any way to do it. I don't know any way to read fairly, to read with integrity a scripture where the prophet is criticizing the church, you know, and, and and saying, you have forgotten, you're not taking care of the poor, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And there is an honest critique, and that goes beyond the people of the church. Are we as a society taking care of people? And we do that through governmental means. And so I just think there are implied criticisms there. I simply don't know how to come at these texts any other way. Um, it's not about Russ being a Democrat or, you know, I've, I've told this congregation I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. I, I, and and uh, this is never for me about partisanship. I just don't know how um, to read a text that I think had political implications. I just don't know how to read that and be fair to that. And and not deal with those political implications today. Why do you think it is that people conflate uh, the message from the pulpit with politics? So why why do we kind of rush in to to uh, merge the two when they seem like very different arenas to me? They seem like two different worlds, and they they could operate independently of one another. But people are so often uh, wanting to to see them as almost one in the same. Uh, when you said that, Bruce, I was thinking about Charlie Milford, who was the founding pastor of this church. He was here for 30, almost 33 years. Charlie was alive for the first five years that Amy and I were here. And I got to know Charlie and kind of understand his way of thinking. And one thing that Charlie told me about this church, he said, Russ, you can you can almost say anything you want to say about theology. You can talk about the virgin birth, or you can talk about the resurrection. You can you can talk about issues of theology, um, and people in our congregation are kind of kind of used to that. But if you cross the line for politics, you're going to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And this was coming from a pastor who had been there, who who had stepped right. on people's toes, who had made people uncomfortable in the political realm. He was just giving me the, the reality. And he said, um, and this was a this was a criticism of this church and a criticism of the church, but he, he said, um, people are more interested in politics than theology. Uh, they're more invested in politics than theology. And so, you know, you can talk theology all day long and people might, you know, kind of have a disagreement with that or whatever, but it's kind of neither here nor there. But, you know, if if he, if they feel like you're criticizing their partisan commitments, they're going to be upset. Um, and you can, you just can feel that. Um, and I guess why, I guess why that's important, Bruce, I think politics is important. Um, I think the church cannot 
by itself right all of the wrongs that we see in our culture. We have to have, um, especially in a government like ours, a government for the people, you know, of the people, for the people, by the people, we are involved in that. Um, and so politics is very personal and very practical. Um, and so, so people do know their politics. They do know how they want to go about changing society. Um, and, and so when you make suggestions that the Bible is suggesting um, that, that we have to, to care for the poor, people hear that. Again, I think not, not really in political terms. I think what we're mostly talking about here is partisan terms. If they hear this as a criticism um, of republicanism, then, then they're going to be they're going to be upset. And sometimes I'll have people walk out the door, um, and and they will they will comment um, in a way that makes me know they're Democrats or they're more liberal. And uh, you know you really got them today. Well, I I'm not. <laughs> I'm not preaching to the Republicans in the crowd. You know, I'm just trying to preach the scripture as I understand it. And I think there is a, I think there is a a prophetic critique. And I've said, if I were a pastor in Cuba, I would hope that my message would sound at times anti-socialist. I'm not a pastor in Cuba. I'm not a pastor in a communist society like China. I'm a pastor in a Christian society. A, a nominally Christian society, um, and I think there is a criticism of our democratic structure, of our capitalistic structure, when we have such great inequality. Um, and, and I can talk about the I can talk about the benefits of capitalism, the benefits of democracy, um, but I think there's an inherent criticism of our system. Um, and I'm just trying to be fair to that as, as a preacher of, uh, of those texts. Right. You said uh, that uh, an important component of faith is compassion, but then you followed up with, but the harder message is the biblical call for social justice. Um, do you think that you and Amy are called, uh, I don't know if gadfly is the right word, or you mentioned stepping on toes. It, it seems to me when you say harder message, it's, that to me was harder to hear, harder to act upon. Um, do you think that's the role that you serve in some ways? Um, Bruce, I think that this this church, this pulpit, um, has had a, a prophetic voice for many, many years. We stepped into that 20 years ago when we became the pastors here. And I think in order to... In order to be the pastors of this church, the search committee that called us was looking for someone, some ones who would be willing to continue that prophetic voice, be willing to speak a harder word, be willing to speak, um, as the Quakers say, truth to power. Um, Baptists have always been willing to offer a voice of dissent. And I think it was important to the search committee that called us to say, this is our history. This is who we've been. We want to make sure we have someone who can speak that. And so another thing that I sometimes try to carefully remind my critics is that I, I was I was called to a place um, that has a history of this kind of voice. And, mm-hmm. and this is what you have asked me to do. Um, and so I feel like I, I am answering 
a specific call to this church as much as I am answering my own calling. This is this is the way I hear these texts. These are the messages that come out of these texts for me. But I also feel like I'm in a church uh, and, and have some... Uh, some amount of responsibility to the history of the pulpit of Parker Baptist Church. In the last couple moments of the sermon, there are a couple of things that you said that really kind of struck me and I thought were were enlightening for me. Um, the first was you at some point said, do not confuse compassion with change. We need both. Could you talk a little bit about that? I thought that was an excellent point. Um, compassion. I need to be personally, individually committed and convicted by my faith to help the guy on the street, you know, to, to reach out to my neighbors in need, to pick up the phone and make phone calls. And, you know, I need, um, there is a call for individual personal change. And personally, I, 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 I am so grateful for my evangelical background that put that in my heart. You know, Russ, this is about you and your heart and you making a decision for Christ. That was the language we used. And me personally, individually being responsible. Um, and and that is important. Um, but we can't stop there. And I think there is a broader, and I think it's more difficult because I think it necessarily um has to get into the arena of politics, of how we as a, uh, as a society um, arrange our commitments to take care of one another. Um, I, there was a quote from Rob Bell, who's that former megachurch pastor. He's got a new book called Everything is Spiritual. And he says the Bible isn't a book about how to get into heaven. Um, there's very little in the Bible about that. He says that's not what the writers were focused on. Their interest again and again is how the world is arranged. That's how our systems and structures were arranged. Does everyone have enough? Are the power structures tilted in favor of the vulnerable? And I think Rob Bell is trying to recognize that there is within Scripture a an overriding concern for the poor. And are the power structures tilted in order to um, address the needs of the poor? Or are we going to just, you know, feed the fat cats, feed the guys at the top and hope that that, you know, spills over. That's not the Bible's message. The Bible is interested in lifting up the lowly. Um, and those kinds of words, those kinds of words have political implications in our current setting um, about the way Democrats and Republicans go about doing things. Um, but I think it's important for us to call for until I've said many times, until the kingdom of God comes on earth, until people are um, fulfilled and happy and have opportunity, equal opportunity, um, we've got to keep offering a prophetic word. And that will be a critical word to whatever the system is. If it's a Democrat in power, if it's a Republican in power, it doesn't matter whether I'm in the U.S. or the Q or Cuba or, or communist China until the kingdom of God comes on earth. We've got to speak a word that 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 says there needs to be change, structural change, not just personal individual compassion. 
Right, and the, and I'll conclude with uh, your reference to a truly Baptist voice. That's something that we've talked about for years. Um, a common misunderstanding of what it means to be Baptist. Um, could you just help us through that one more time? What a true Baptist voice is. And I try to go back to our history, Bruce. When the, the Baptists were formed when um, there was an established state church, um, and Baptists said, "We don't want the king being the leader of the church. We demand separation of church and state." And the separatists came out of the Church of uh, of England, um, and then the Puritans came out of the separatists, and then the Baptists Baptists came out of the the Puritans. And so I say Baptists are the dissenters of the dissenters of the dissenters. Um, And and the first Baptist pastor in the United States, um, uh, Roger Williams, insisted on religious freedom. And uh, he said, let the Turks be Turks. Um, Let the Muslims be Muslims. Let the Papists be Papists. Those are words we wouldn't wouldn't use today. Let the Muslims be Muslims and, and the Turks be Turks. And let the Native Americans practice their individual um, spirituality. Uh, there's no such thing as forced or coerced religion, um, and freedom and independence um, was important for Williams and the First Baptist. Uh, and the insistence on being willing to separate from the state and speak a word against the state. Now, um, Baptist today. Uh, my critique of Baptists, as most people understand them, is that Baptists are are conformists. They, they want the state. They want the power of the state in the church. I, that's that's my critique, and I think we've always got to be wary of that. And so Baptists have always been ornery, uh, historically always been willing to stir the pot a little bit, always been willing to speak a word that wasn't popular. People have always had a hard time understanding how Baptists talk about the separation of church and state. And my critique is that many Baptists don't understand that today. Um, but we're, we're insistent that church is responsible for religious education and the state is responsible for um, the everything else. And and so we don't need the state to prop us up. And so um, I want to be true to that Baptist calling of a willingness to speak. The truth to power is not Baptist language. That's, I think the Quakers uh, first started talking about that. But um, that, that word of dissent and that word of prophetic um, critique against the system is very much true to our Baptist history. Um, and so I'm trying, I'm trying to be fair to that as a as a pastor and preacher. Thanks again uh, for your time. I hope that you have a good rest of the week and look forward to talking to you another time. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. Thank you. And of course, thank you to our listeners. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week from all of us at Park Road Baptist Church. Thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.